Welcome to the New Books Network. Theodore Roosevelt said, a grove of giant redwoods or sequoias should be kept just as we keep a great or beautiful cathedral. Trees are a gift, noted the famous environmentalist and ethologist Jane Goodall. Trees absorb carbon dioxide, they give us oxygen, so they are a gift. The generous qualities of trees have been recognized since the beginning of time. Pagans worship trees. The Bible speaks of the tree of life. Shel Silverstein wrote The Giving Tree for children of all ages. Ilan, one of the Hebrew words for tree, is a popular Israeli boy's name. Many of us appreciate and even love trees, but few take that love and make it their life's work. Today's guest is unique in his immersion in and championing of the cause of trees. I'm honored to have John Perlin with me today to discuss his favorite topic and the new version of his classic work, A Forest Journey, The Role of Trees in the Fate of Civilization. I'm Renee Garfinkel, and this is the Van Leer Jerusalem series on ideas. John Perlin is an historian of solar energy and the author of four books on the subject. Harvard University Press chose today's book, A Forest Journey, as one of its 100 great books and named it a classic in science and world history. The Geographic Society and the Sierra Club chose the book as their publication of the year. John Perlin, welcome to the podcast. Um, Here I am and happy to be here. John, tell us, how did your love affair with trees begin? Well, actually it began when I was 11 years old and um, there was this syndicated a uh, um, column for uh, you know buddy uh, uh, scientists called ask Andy uh, it was in our local newspaper in Los Angeles and um, it was uh, spread throughout the uh, country and the uh, young person who asked the best scientific question um, won a, a plethora of uh, books and I asked the question, uh, if a seed is so small, why is a tree so tall? And lo and behold, this, uh, oh, you might say, um, pretty much poor kid in the inner city of Los Angeles um, won the prize. And uh, the prize was, uh, for me, the first book of trees. And here I am uh, writing about trees. Wow. That was a good question, though. You deserve to win. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, um, yeah. Actually, I won a second prize too. But this was, I said, oh, how far does uh, space um, oh go? And um, for for a budding kid who you know was fairly poor uh, to have the entire staff of the uh, Los Angeles Times come to my uh, house and uh, present me with the prizes uh, was quite a you know, a, a moving experience. Well, art and literature and uh, religion <laughs> all love trees as well. The Garden of Eden's tree of life is not just a poetic metaphor. Tell us about what trees do that maintains life on this planet. Well, first of all, um, if not for trees, uh, we would have no civilization because trees provided both the uh, primary fuel and building material from every for every society 
um, and also for um, uh, pre civil. Uh, you might I, I I don't want to use the word pre civilized, but for people before uh, civilization began. And without trees, uh, we would have no metals because until the discovery of fossil fuels in the last 150, 200 years, uh, the only way you would have iron, for example, is to uh, extract the metal from rock. That requires uh, quite a lot of heat. And uh, the um, only form of heat capable was charcoal, and charcoal is a derivative of wood. So what I uh, learned from uh, doing my research is that we actually um, don't live in metal ages. We live in wood ages because without the wood, there would have been no um, copper, uh, no bronze, uh, and uh, no uh, iron. And so we would have never, we would have always been mired in the Stone Age. Your book makes a very compelling point about the fact that we really would have no material culture without wood. Well, actually, it's explained very uh, succinctly. Uh, for example, uh, in the Tanakh, uh, you know, the Old Testament, where um, Isaiah becomes a uh, oak tree and he's celebrating because civilization, uh, which was um, epitomized by the Assyrians, um, the uh, Sargon the Great, the uh, great ruler of uh, the Assyrians, had been assassinated. And so he says, as an oak tree, how happy he is because now he can grow again. But civilization has been pretty hard on trees. Explain to us how the legend of Gilgamesh set the stage for Western civilization's forest destruction. Well, the main part of Gilgamesh is called the forest journey. You see, uh, just like in um, the uh, Hebrew religion, the Jewish religion, uh, heaven was on earth. You know, Gan Eden uh, was uh, the garden of uh, earthly delights. And so it was with the um, oh, uh, Mesopotamians. And Gilgamesh was going to make a name for himself so people would never forget him by conquering the abode of the gods, which was the cedar forest. So what he did was he marched uh, to, um, for seven or eight days from uh, the uh, Persian Gulf uh, to—and this is really, really— uh, um, blew my mind was if you ever see uh, films, uh, you know, like uh, newsreels, um, you wouldn't, you see all these bare mountains in Iraq and Iran. And at one time, uh, these were as, you know, as the trees were as large as the sequoia, which you earlier mentioned in California. And so to make a name for himself, Gilgamesh, traveled for seven or eight days, and suddenly he came upon these magnificent woods. And just like um, the uh, Californians, uh, when they saw the first sequoia, um, they were awestruck. But then about 20 minutes later, uh, they get out their axes. And so then um, Gilgamesh kills the guardian of the forest, which was put there by the gods to keep humanity out, because the gods knew exactly what humanity would do to the trees. And 
they kill the guardian of the forest and then start hacking away. And not only do they hack away, but they build a road to the forest, which always like in present day Amazon, once they built roads to the Amazon, it um, doomed, foredoomed uh, the forest because then you can move the trees back and forth. And in fact, um, they also sailed logs down the Euphrates, uh, just like Mark Twain saw um, timbers flowing from Minnesota uh, down the uh, Mississippi all the way to uh, New Orleans. So the story of uh, Gilgamesh not only typifies the destruction of the forest, but Gilgamesh's best friend who participated as they're traveling down on their timber rafts, he looks at Gilgamesh and he says... I think we've turned the cedar forest into a wasteland. What will we tell our gods? Which here we have the beginning of the first environmental ethic uh, also. It seems like we haven't changed much since those ancient times. Well, I think uh, we learn from uh, Ecclesiastes that... Um, what is that? Ein Mashakukadash, which means uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and we could say there's nothing new uh, in the forest. <laughs> right, right. And, well, and the reason for that, the reason for that is uh, uh, two or threefold. One is um, we uh, the reason why Gilgamesh uh, went up to the forest uh, was not just to vandalize, but he wanted to build a great city in Uruk, the first um, cornerstone of civilization. And he needed the trees uh, to build the great temples, uh, just like Solomon um, needed the uh, timber from uh, of the Phoenicians to uh, build the uh, first temple. And so trees fall for humanity's oh, um, glory. Yes, and, and you write about the centrality of forests in both the growth of civilization and the decline of civilizations. Well, what, what, what's amazing is you take Israel, like, oh, uh, the Philistines were the uh, iron, uh, first iron culture in the Middle East, and they took down all the trees in uh, the um, area. And that is why, you know, people would not believe the pollen samples that showed that one time Israel was a great forest. And one of the um, demands by uh, Moses was to um, reconnoiter um, the um, land of milk and honey. Um, I believe he was in Sinai at the time, and he tasked them to find out if there were woods. <clears throat> yes, that's right. Well, well, were there any times and places that recognized and took steps to balance the the productivity of wood with the need to protect or replenish forests? Well, like I say, it's a yin and a yang because it, it, environmental ethic began uh, fifty six hundred years ago um, when uh, Enkidu, the the um, companion of Gilgamesh. Uh, as they're traveling down with all these trees, um, <clears throat> oh, um, looks at Gilgamesh and says, um, you know, we've turned the uh, cedar forest into wasteland. Uh, what will our gods think? And 
what happened was the gods uh, began to um, have a conference on what should we do with these miscreants who just destroyed our homes, which is the forest, uh, the god, the you know the abode of the gods, and they decided, which is a very Semitic um, like notion, is they would kill. Um, Enkidu, who is the best friend of Gilgamesh, and then Gilgamesh would, you know, have no one to say Kaddish uh, when he died, so they would both be messed up. Well, uh, moving a little further forward in history, the Romans believed that their origins were as a forest people. How did right. they do Right. Well, well, that that's really interesting because I have a friend, and his name is uh, his last name is Silby, uh, which means uh, of the forest, you know. And people's name uh, like Sylvia, uh, you know, refer to the forest because that's the uh, Latin uh, word for trees. And Rome was was really interesting. Is uh, another thing that I found was you have this movement westward as uh, people deforest. Uh, for example, the Greeks look to Italy as um, the uh, people on the East Coast in America look to California and the Pacific Northwest for uh, their great trees. And who would think, I mean, my Italian friends laugh at me almost in disbelief when I tell them that Italy under the Romans um, was a... Um, forested paradise until uh, they started cutting down. In fact, right next to Rome, you have the Chimean forest, uh, which was so um, well wooded that the Romans forbade anybody to um, enter in the fear that they would get lost. Uh, so what happens is we move westward as we destroy the forests. We, we, we go from the Middle East, uh, actually uh, ships from uh, the Middle East, used to travel uh, to Crete uh, to collect um, all the uh, necessary wood uh, for their civilization. And the result is I was on Crete about um, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was really hot, and there was not a single tree to give me shade. But the Romans did do some things for conservation, uh, for forest preservation, uh, you write about um, something they did with wheat instead of wood. Can you tell us about that? Well, what the uh, Romans did, uh, they did several things. Uh, one is uh, in several uh, areas of the peninsula, uh, they uh, turned from charcoal to coal, uh, one of the first uses of fossil fuels. Um, they also turned to solar energy uh, because the Romans loved their baths, right? And right. the baths took huge timbers uh, to keep them at the temperature that the Romans loved. And so what they did was they designed the baths so they would take in uh, the winter sun and have like clear coverings between the baths and the out of doors so the sun would be collected much like in israel where uh you have solar water heating uh they had solar bath heating um and also uh, another um example of what rome did um regarding uh wood is they sent out a fleet of 500 boats uh to collect the wood from of all places, North Africa. Can you believe this? North Africa used to be the um, wood basket of the Romans. Amazing. 
And so actually in the ice cores, um, I, I worked with some people who are doing a coring of ice uh, to see um, the changes of um, the amount of uh, methane and carbon dioxide gas over the ages, and they could see a visible um, change um, in the uh, increase of carbon dioxide and methane uh, during uh, the Roman Empire because of all their consumption of uh, wood. Hmm. Well, let's jump forward to the new world. Okay, Uh, here I am. I'm in the new world. Yeah. Christopher Columbus noted that the island of Hispaniola, which is today's Haiti and Dominican Republic, was once richly forested. Today, sadly, Haiti is a failed state and completely deforested. Why is it so different from its neighbor, the Dominican Republic? Well, that's a good question. Uh, uh, One of the main reasons is that uh, uh, the uh, Haitians have no fossil fuels, and so they're forced to um, cut down their trees uh, for um, heating and for, um, you know, hot water. Um, And unlike other countries, see, uh, the reason why my solar my solar books and my wood forest book are intertwined is when I was working on my first book called uh, Let It Shine, the 6,000-year story of solar energy, I discovered that the reason why people in antiquity turned to solar was they were running out of wood. And so I surmised that this must be an incredible story because as you can see today where you live in the Middle East, how fuel... Um, really rules the world, or you might say access to fuel, availability of fuel. I mean, that's why the countries in the uh, Arab countries in the Middle East um, have so much power is because the world is dependent on their fossil fuels. So in the same uh, sense, um, before the discovery of the uses of fossil fuels, uh, people depended on um, areas of wood uh, to uh, for their sur- survival. Absolutely. So that's what got me going was when I discovered in my solar research that people were turning to us, you know, solar architecture to heat their buildings because they had um, ransacked their forests. I said, this is very much similar to what's happening today. But nobody has ever um, ever told the story, and I just was you know blessed that here I was I could have this free foray into a new subject. Can you comment on the wildfires that have affected so many parts of the world in recent years? North America, Europe, Middle East, Australia. What what's happening? Well, well, two things are happening. One is we call it the. Um, uh, urban uh, the w- wilderness urban interface. Uh, the problem is, as uh, people, I, I I can see this in uh, say uh, right where I live, um, where when people get money, they want to live you know further and further into the wilderness, and so you have this interaction that always turns uh, very dangerous. So what happened in California? I can speak about California, is the utilities were, uh, you know, bringing in the uh, power on pylons pylons, uh, to these um, distant communities. 
and the um, sparks from the uh, pylons uh, created the, all the big fires in uh, California. And in the 19th century, uh, it was the uh, railroad, you know, with the trains, with the sparks from burning the uh, coal in the uh, tinder car um, that created uh, a immense amount of fire. And so um, it's a um, incursion, you might say. You, I think that's the best word, an incursion by civilization once again into the forest that created these um for, uh, forest fires in California, uh, which killed a lot of people and also uh, created, you know, havoc um, both in the area and also uh, from the uh, plumes of smoke uh, into um, other areas. And do you think that might be the case in the rest of the world as well? You know, um I, I, yeah, yeah. In fact, the Canadian now that I now that I think about it, you joggled my mind. Is in the Canadian uh, forest fires, they were all caused by people coming in with ATVs, you know, and oh, um, having like oh, um, sparks uh, come out of the um, uh, the ATV. You, you know what an ATV is, yes, right? Sure, of course. Yeah. So what 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 happens is we invent. Uh, ways just like with Gilgamesh, we invent ways to like inc- you know make incursions into the forest, and then we create havoc. Just like Gilgamesh created havoc, uh, the um, uh, Pacific uh, Gas and Electric, known as PG&E, and Southern California Edison, the two big California utilities, created the biggest uh, forest fires uh, in the history of California. And in Canada, uh, what my colleagues tell me is it was uh, primarily man um, or human made. And then I know from my studying that it was the incursion of the railroad in the 19th century that caused tremendous amounts of forest fires Oh, in um, um, in in California uh, again. Finally, John, let's look to the future. Uh, what positive changes do you see in attitudes and policies toward f- uh, forests globally? Well, I'm starting to see people realize, and this is what um, the end of my book does. It's called the epilogue. Is I show how forests. Um, protect us in so many ways. Uh, for example, uh, you mentioned carbon dioxide sequestration, uh, but also um, in urban areas, uh, forests, uh, you know, urban forests uh, bring down the heat by about, and I'm sorry, um, I'm Amer- as American, I speak in Fahrenheit. Um, so you can calculate that for me, is uh, okay 10 degrees me. Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> So you can you can do the Celsius for me because I am not accustomed to that because I live in a strange country. No. But uh, so so people are realizing how forests cool down the cities and provide you know needed shade and also creates uh, they call it forest bathing, uh, which um, is psychologically uh, very beneficial. And um, also we uh, uh, other uh, services of uh, trees. Uh, is that they create a rain and also they cycle rain to faraway places. For example, uh, the Congo Basin provides 44% of the um, water uh, in the Nile. So hopefully uh, these um, oh, um, new scientific discoveries in the last 30 years uh, 
will be translated into uh, more intelligent policies. One of the uh, biggest uh, um, discoveries I made was in 2018, as I was doing the updated enlarged uh, edition of A Forest Journey, uh, I came across this amazing article called Bats, Coronaviruses, and Deforestation. And it's the human incursion into these uh what we call you know you know defense systems that keep the um oh that kept the covid or also kept ebola um from interfacing with humans and then when we um oh uh, destroy the social distancing that nature provides then we uh get these epidemics nevertheless i got the impression from your book and correct me if i'm wrong that you're pretty optimistic about uh, civilization recognizing and being able to preserve and protect the forests that protect us. Was that? I would say um, not optimistic. I would say hopeful. Hopeful, a better word. Absolutely. The book is A Forest Journey, The Role of Trees in the Fate of Civilization. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us, John. It's been a privilege. Well, Renee, thank you so much for having me. And I hope I was uh, uh, articulate enough for your um, wonderful institution. And thanks to our researcher, Bela Pasikov.